Hi, I'm Spencer Christian. I've been a broadcast journalist and weathercaster for more than 50 years. And over those years, I've met many remarkable people, remarkable people with remarkable insight. Now, I'll be talking with them about the issues of the day and about their personal journeys. I'll even share a few of my own. So come join me after the weather, and we'll learn together. I'm Spencer Christian. Welcome to After the Weather. Uh, Today, we're talking about memory loss or dementia and the profound effect it has not only on the person with dementia, but also on the primary caregiver. And I can't think of two better people to join me in this conversation than today's guests. Dr. Catherine Posehn, Professor in Residence, Department of Neurology at the UCSF Memory and Aging Center, and Ed Kaplan, whose wife Judy is in memory care at Frank Residences for Senior Living in San Francisco, which is where Ed and Judy reside. Welcome. Good to see the two of you. And Ed, your your story is um, so profoundly touching, but I'm going to turn to Kate first. I know that you've said that uh, there are advances or new approaches in uh, memory care that are now beginning to finally recognize the needs of the primary caregiver as well as those of the patient. Can you frame that for us and tell us what's going on? Yes. I mean, historically, our medical system has been very patient centric, but in dementia, it is important for healthcare providers to think about the needs not only of the individual with dementia, but also the caregiver. If the caregiver is supported, if their needs are met, they're going to be able to better care for that person with dementia. And that's the person who's shouldering, the caregiver shoulders most of the burdens uh, with this illness. So our health systems need to pay attention to their needs as well. And and Ed, I I really want to hear your story. Uh, I'm familiar with it vaguely, but I want to hear it from your heart, from your mouth, because that wasn't always the case with you when Judy was first diagnosed with dementia. You didn't always have this support that Kate's talking about. Right. right. Well, Judy uh, and I moved here from the East Coast about six and a half years ago. And a year after we got here, uh, we noticed changes. Uh, when I say we, my sons and I, and uh, they actually noticed it before. I did. What kinds of changes? Well, they uh, found that things were going missing mm-hmm. in their apartment, in their homes. Um, children's books, um, some toiletries, strange things. They pointed it out to me. And then uh, I would, when we came back to San Francisco, because they were living in San Diego, for example, um, I noticed that when we'd go shopping, and we'd come home from Safeway, uh, there'd be items, chocolates, that showed up that I didn't purchase. Well, um, she, of course, denied it. And when I asked her, did she take the stuff? Well, I decided to have her evaluated at uh, UCSF that has uh, all of the uh, medical facilities that we needed so uh, we threw our our health needs into UCS, and she was diagnosed at that point. Um, Judy's mother had Alzheimer's, so we had an ex- some experience uh, being semi caregivers because we got outside help to help her in her home. But I didn't really have any experience at all because Judy took care of her mother, not I. Yeah. Uh, And 
Judy uh, went from being the person I had known for, well, if you include the fact that we dated for seven years, for almost 60 years, uh, she went, she became a different person. Did this happen quickly, rapidly? Uh, Well, uh, yeah, I would say within a year or two. Yeah. and she, her needs became very great in terms of personal cleanliness. Um, she, had to, she had to be watched because, uh, you know, she would, she, she stopped cooking. She stopped cleaning the house. I, I had all, the entire uh, burden yeah. of her, uh, well, they call them activities of daily living. So for a couple of years, uh, we lived in, in an apartment in uh, Glen Park here in San Francisco, and I took care of her. But things got very difficult when she developed incontinence. That had to be absolutely overwhelming, though, that you had all this responsibility all of a sudden that none of which you'd ever had before. Well, I, I never did much shopping. I never did any cooking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I did housework, uh, you know, cleaning, for example. But now I she became like a another child. Yeah. The relationship became one not of a peer, uh, but somebody that had to be dealt with like a child. Yeah. And it was very difficult. You mentioned that Judy's mom had Alzheimer's. Did you recall anything about her behavior that was an early clue to you when Judy was developing dementia? No, I don't. And I, I say this to people and they, uh, they laugh at it, but I'm a retired scientist and I was trained to observe. Mm-hmm. And I didn't notice anything uh, prior to his, our mother being diagnosed. And I frankly didn't know uh, that I was watching changes in Judy. Kate, I'm going to guess this is not unusual. Well, one thing that's a little bit, um, I don't know if unusual is the right word, but not typical, Mm -hmm. is the first symptoms that Judy experienced. You know, we think of Alzheimer's disease, the most typical first symptoms are changes in memory, uh, maybe getting lost, losing things. And what we hear that was really striking about the early symptoms for Judy are a little bit different. Again, not unusual. We do see these as first symptoms, but not typical. Um, and one thing that strikes me is, well, first of all, I, I understand why you didn't think right away this is Alzheimer's disease. But I, I am um, uh, struck that, you know, you were able to get her her diagnosed quickly. I think a lot of families... It takes a long time to get a diagnosis to yeah. figure out what's going on, especially when the first symptoms are something like um, taking things or some other uh, inappropriate behaviors. Um, and it's really hard on families not knowing what the reason for those behaviors are. And I was wondering if you could share how was it that you came to get her in to see a specialist um, early in her condition? Well, I mentioned it to our primary care physician. And she said, well, we can get her evaluated at the Memory and Aging Center. So uh, we did do that. And Judy was uh, seen by a psychologist for about an hour. 
And she came out of, I remember watching her. I was not in the room, but uh, when she came out, she was really upset. And uh, she went from there, she and I went into the, see a neurologist. And the neurologist put her through a bunch of tests. And then the psychologist came in and, and the four of us were sitting there. And suddenly we heard, well, we think, uh, you definitely diagnosed with dementia, possibly Alzheimer's. And there was this long silence that we had at that point. Now, what was the next step after that? I mean, how, how long did it take you to arrive at the decision that you needed to, uh, that Judy need to, needed to have care in a facility? That's a great question. Uh, I felt like a babe in the woods. Yeah. Uh, I, I, my first thought was, uh, I need help. Where am I going to get help? Yeah. The, uh, Alzheimer's Association. Went to the Alzheimer's Association, met this, uh, woman who, uh, really, uh, very, uh, her name is Rachel Maine, And she, uh, gave a course called the Savvy Caregiver. I think it was a seven or eight lesson course. And, uh, it was very detailed, and it gave me a very quick one lesson. Uh, you know, Al, Alzheimer's one hundred and one. Yeah, yeah. But then that's one thing to learn what you need to do. Now you have to find the help. Now, were your children included in this decision making? No, yeah. no. My children were grown uh, at that point, and uh, it was just Judy and me. Yeah. Very difficult uh, to get. Uh, had I known that there are things called people called case managers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. That would have been a one stop shopping type yeah. situation. Yeah. But I didn't know about that. And I had to uh, become part of a caregiver's uh, workshop also given by the Alzheimer's Association. And these people were experienced, uh, had their husbands and wives and loved ones had already uh, progressed to the point where I was learning from, from yeah. these people. Yeah, I'm so struck by your uh, comment that you felt like you were a babe in the woods. And at and I now you are an experienced caregiver. You've been through these stages of dementia care. You've learned so much. Do you have any advice like for yourself, if you could talk to yourself <laughs> a few years ago or to other caregivers who might be listening who are just entering this experience? Well, my if they're in San Francisco uh, and they go, they happen to be at UCSF, my my now that I've met you. I would have said, there's a person I know that you should speak to right now. <laughs> uh, however, um, uh, case manager would be good. If you can afford a case manager uh, and you need to learn quickly, that's the way to go. Uh, but the Alzheimer's Association, I think, is an extraordinary uh, group. And they have incredible amounts of uh, opportunities to learn mm -hmm. and to point you in the right direction. 
So that's an, that's what I would uh, have done, right? Well, I almost did that. I, I tried to do this on my own, and then I realized I had to go to to, to the association to help. Tell me about the experience uh, at uh, Frank Residences and the care that Judy's getting there, and how different things are now, or are they from before? They they are. Uh, there was. The thing that made me uh, seek out uh, an assisted living situation was when Judy developed incontinence, uh, because it took me back to the days of diapering an infant, mm -hmm. and uh, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, and at that point, when I heard about the assisted, uh, Frank residence, assisted living, it took me a while to decide to move in. Judy, at that point, didn't really have anything to say about it. I mean, she, she didn't, literally. Yeah. Uh, she was not talking much. And uh, I went there two or three times before I decided to go there because I thought I, and only I, could take care of my loved one. Right. And I hear this time and again. People don't think that, that anybody else can care for their uh, person who has dementia. Was guilt an issue at all? Oh, my gosh. Terrible guilt. Yeah. Uh, but we moved into assisted living. And we lived there together for a year. But mm -hmm. then her situation continued to get worse. So that I decided to move her into memory care. Now, Frank Residence is, is, you know, is, a, is part of the campus for Jewish living. Right. Uh, here in San Francisco, it used to be called, what, the uh, Jewish home. Jewish home. Yeah, that's right. And it's got, you could move in there and be an independent living person. You can be an assisted living person. Uh, or you could even, you know, go into memory care. So um, that, may, you know, I decided to to go and seek people out who could tell me what's involved. Yeah. The guilt level went up by an order of magnitude on my head. I use that term. I'm a physicist, a retired physicist. <laughs> we uh, understand. Order of magnitude. <laughs> yeah. But it, um, I can still remember the, the look on Judy's face when we walked to the memory care uh, uh, section and she said, well, why am I here? And I I couldn't answer. Uh, one of the caregivers there uh, helped and took yeah. her in. Um, well, the monkeys on my shoulder like, mm -hmm. were immediately, uh, actually most of them were taken away. Yeah. Because the people, I saw this in assisted living, and I definitely see it in memory care. The caregivers there are so experienced and they're so compassionate. Uh, she hit it off with these people. Yeah. You know, she she smiles. She smiles when she sees me, but she smiles when she sees the caregivers. <laughs> That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I have suddenly been able to find my, my own life. I've, uh, I mean, it's a terrible thing to think that. I'm looking for my own life now mm -hmm. after 
Well, last week was 56 years of marriage. And people keep telling me I need my own life. But as Kate said, you can't be a, a good caregiver uh, if you don't take care of yourself. Right, right. And having your own life, in quotes, is part of that taking care of yourself. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Kate, how, in your experience, um, how common is misdiagnosis or late diagnosis yeah. of dementia? Yeah, no, that's a that's a really important question because unfortunately, dementia tends to be diagnosed very late, on average in the moderate stages. Yeah. Half of people out there in this country right now who have dementia have not been diagnosed. Um, and this these delays are even higher for um uh, uh, race and ethnic minorities or under underserved other populations that are underserved by our health systems. So in diagnosis is the gateway to um to care, to planning ahead for the appropriate medical treatment, and also with disease-modifying therapies that are on the horizon for Alzheimer's disease. So we need to, this is one of the biggest problems, I think, in, um, in Alzheimer's care is the need to improve timely diagnosis. We heard from Ed's story, he had a, his, um, his wife, Judy, did actually receive a fairly timely diagnosis because his primary care provider uh, was clued in to the fact that behavioral changes can be the first signs of yeah. Alzheimer's disease. I don't know that most primary care providers would have picked up on that, but um, also because of your you know, family uh, noticing things and, and saying, uh, hey, you should get this checked out. So you know, you, Judy had a good support system around her that, that helped her get in to see a specialist and get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say that's one of the biggest problems our health system needs to address. But perhaps even bigger than that is how we're caring for patients and families following diagnosis. Yeah. You mentioned something there I want to get back to briefly. That is, was it disease modifying therapies? Is that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I, no, no it's okay. I, I, that, that sounds like something hopeful to me. Makes me, yeah. There's a lot of hope in Alzheimer's right yeah, now. There's yeah. incredible breakthroughs in the last few years with regard to both. Um, the way we can diagnose and treat. So for diagnosis, we can figure out if you have Alzheimer's proteins in your brain, mm. uh, both by um, PET imaging, which is, we've been able to do that for about a decade, but now even with blood tests, we can see if there's Alzheimer's protein. So wow. really exciting new opportunities for early diagnosis. And um, in terms of therapies, really exciting breakthroughs are that, um, you know, we've, there are a couple drugs now that have shown that if you lower the amyloid in the brain, that you can actually slow the progression of the disease. Um, you know, it's not a cure by right. any stretch. Right. Yes. Can, can I just yes. for a sec? Uh, the one thing from a caregiver's point of view, yeah, has to be told right from the start mm -hmm. that it's progressive, as you yes. said. Yeah. That you can maybe slow it down. I mean, our neurologist said, uh, I, I will prescribe it was Aricet, yes. I think. But sometimes it works, sometimes mm -hmm. it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And even when it works, it it just slows things down. It's a journey. And if you're a caregiver, you have to come to grips with the journey. Right. And how it's going to get worse and how it's going to end. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think even expert neurologists sometimes do not disclose that as fully as they need to. 
Caregivers need to understand that this is a progressive disease and they need to be guided on how to plan ahead and what to expect. And that's one of the big gaps in the way healthcare for dementia operates right now is that you're left as a babe in the woods trying to find your way around without any help from our healthcare system or without enough help, I should say. Well, back now, we're talking five years Mm -hmm. since Judy got the diagnosis, maybe close to six. At that time, our the neurologist did her job. Mm-hmm. She made a diagnosis. And that's it. Yeah. Right. And then we were sent out into the world with a diagnosis. Now what? Right. Right. Yeah. Now, Kate's talking about a whole new approach that, well, it's not... I don't know how new it is, <laughs> but for me, I mean, it, it's more holistic and yeah. it makes much more sense. Well, certainly a helpful approach. Yeah. Yeah. So what Judy received was what is typically considered the sort of top echelon of care in a way from our neurology centers, which is that you got an expert diagnosis. Yeah. But what's not standard and what should be standard and what I hope will be standard is following that expert diagnosis you are assigned a care manager, a care navigator, a care guide, somebody who you get to um, work with, to to talk on the phone with at least once a month to uh, deal with the challenges that evolve with dementia care. And when needed, that care manager can consult with licensed dementia specialists, like nurse or social worker, pharmacist or your neurologist, whatever you need but that you have a relationship with that one guy. Psychiatrist or psychologist, because mm-hmm. I had to do that. Yeah. I, it was really affecting me. Uh, and uh, my anxiety level was up there. And uh, I was I, I needed the psychological help. Absolutely. It, you mentioned earlier in your story about how uh, Judy smiles when she sees you, but she also smiles, maybe even a bigger smile when she sees her care team at the Frank residences. Yeah. There are a couple of which I would imagine has to be such a good feeling for you, uh, a feeling of relief or it relieves the anxiety or maybe even the guilt. Am I on the right track here? You're on the right track. Yeah. I I see her usually from about 630 to nine. Mm -hmm. Now she's starting to go to sleep more like seven, seven thirty, which is a big change. Right. And uh that means I I walk her to her room. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there are only three or four uh, assisted living residents at the Frank who have loved ones there. Uh-huh. So most of the memory care people there don't have this level of support from their loved ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get up there and s- sit there and watch some TV. And then I walk her to her room. But... When they, the caregivers see me walking her to her room, they walk behind us, one, two, usually two people. And we walk into the room, and Judy is calm. Yeah. They have to change her. They have to clean her. Right. Uh, they get her ready for bed. And um, she's quiet, and she lets them do what they need to do. Sometimes she gets anxious and aggressive. Uh, but they know how to handle that. And when I leave that room and I say to the 
I say ladies uh, or men, because there are men who do this too. I say thank you so much. Yeah. And good, you know, have have a good rest of the day. And I really mean it. Oh, I bet you do. I'll bet really you do. Mean it. Well, Ed, your your experience is, uh, as I said earlier, is deeply touching. But I would think instructive also for people who may be listening who have loved ones who are dealing with dementia. Um, but I also want to leave people with a little bit of advice of where to go for helpful resources, Kate, uh, if they have a family member uh, who may be uh, showing the uh, symptoms that Ed mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have concerns about yourself or a loved one, that there's some kind of change in the way that your brain is working, and that can be a change in memory or thinking or behavior, um, Sometimes even mood changes can herald, uh, can be an early sign. Mm -hmm. Talk to your primary care provider. And if you're really concerned, you may even need to push that primary care provider to get a referral to see a specialist. And um, yeah, try to get seen um, at, as a, at a specialist. And then once you have a diagnosis, if, if you get a diagnosis of one of these diseases, um, ask, ask your, your, your specialist uh, that you saw for what kind of resources are available to sure. you. And always the Alzheimer's Association is a great group to go to. Family Caregiver Alliance is another one. Yes. Uh, and really advocate for yourself as a caregiver to get the support that you need. And you can plug UCSF too. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, yes, our Memory and Aging Center. We um, I would be happy to, to see you. Okay. Uh, Dr. Catherine Kate Posin and Ed Kaplan, thank you so much for, for joining us on After the Weather and for sharing this helpful uh, and touching information. Thank you. My thank you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you to our guest for joining us today, and thank you for listening. After the Weather is a product of ABC7. Be sure to subscribe, and if you liked our program, give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.